Heads up, small business leaders, you're listening to My Quest for the Best, where published experts share relevant stories for inspiration and tools for transformation to unlock your growth potential. We release a new episode every week to help you navigate your managing and leadership challenges, so subscribe to stay up to date. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and more for your convenience. Let's dive into this week's episode. Haven't you wondered, perhaps secretly, what the journey was like for people who achieved celebrity status? I sure have. My next guest, Dashima Gordon, author of The Journey to Joyful, not only fulfills some of my curiosities, but she exceeds my expectations in her openness, generosity, and genuine responses to my questions. Listen in, learn from someone who's built a global online and offline community, and find out if you don't feel lifted by her energy like I did. I'm so glad you're here. Dashima is an award-winning international happiness expert with a thriving global community of over 300,000 health-conscious men and women. Dashima's wide appeal has been published in the Wall Street Journal, Times of India, Vogue Arabia, Cosmopolitan Germany, and the Oprah Winfrey Network. She's written five books and has starred in and produced 32 yoga and health-related instructional DVDs, QVC, ATTUverse, and Broadband TV, as well as other media and TV partnerships, have broadcast Dashima's lessons, enabling hundreds of millions to learn from her instruction. Dashima is based in Hawaii and is here to talk about her book, Journey to Joyful. Welcome, Dashima. Hi, thank you, Bill. So happy to be here. Glad to be with you. Dashima, tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? You know, I had a lot of early inspirations to talk about a few, but One that comes to mind initially is my running coach, which I was sharing with you earlier, just a wonderful, wonderful coach. He taught me something so unique in terms of where does success really come from? And he always liked to refer to Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan was actually playing at the time, you know, um, basketball for the NBA. And he taught us that Michael Jordan actually did more practicing of free throws and three-point shots in his mind through his visualization meditation practice than he ever did on the court. And that was really one of the major secrets to his success. And after I learned that, it actually ignited this understanding of how we create things and success and whatever we're experiencing in the mind first. So that was really one of the first inspirations. And then there was one other thing that came to my mind because my aunt, who was an incredibly compassionate woman, and I lived with her for six years, she gave me a book And it was called How to Be Like Women of Influence, 20 of the Greatest Women of the 20th Century. And in that book, there was 20 women. And it was like Oprah and Mother Teresa and Eleanor Roosevelt and like 20 amazing examples of women who had really achieved great success. And each of them had a word that was a quality that they kind of embodied the most. You know, so Mother Teresa, I think, was love or compassion and you know each one had a word like courage or strength and anyway so that book actually was one of the foundational starting blocks of understanding how to be a great woman and how to be a leader or a person of virtue and so that was actually even though it wasn't a person it was 20 people but it was a book that really started me off on a good place so I'm so grateful for that. I can totally relate to that. I often would think about the people who influenced me when I was younger. In addition to, you know, family members and teachers, I had people who others had written about, like Thomas Edison and Walt Disney, who had done some really cool things. 
And I thought of them as friends of mine who I just knew through books. Me too. I always felt that. I was like, these are my friends because like, obviously I know there's their life stories, so we're close. <laughs> they don't know me yet. <laughs> That's funny. So the question I have to ask you, Dashima, is as you're reading through these 20 women's stories and the qualities that they could sum up in a word, what word sums up the qualities that make you an extraordinary leader? All the words I feel I've really aimed to embody, but I think the word courage is really coming to mind because you know, it took a lot of courage and strength, but just courage in general to go the route that I went, which is to be a leader and to create communities like we were talking about earlier, to create communities, to bring people together, to be willing to put myself out there, you know, when I didn't know what the response would be. And even in the beginning when there was some mixed response and then, you know, just the courage to keep going, the courage to work through the challenges, the courage to get back up every single time if I got knocked down and the courage to believe in myself and the vision and the mission and the purpose of my life. And so I just feel like courage is a big one. Obviously, compassion and love and all of those other words that were featured in the book, you know, uh, all of them, I truly feel are part of the fiber of my being. But if I was going to choose probably one word at this moment that came to mind, courage. It's fabulous, because as you describe that, every time you mention one of those words, it activates in me and everyone listening, those qualities and memories of people who have those qualities and examples that awaken that and reactivate that. So it's fabulous that you read through that book and really internalized so many of those lessons and had that, you know, act as a guide to encourage and inspire you as well. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading about Anne Frank, for instance, because I had read her book. I think she was the one that was about courage, actually, if I remember correctly. And she was the young woman that was in the Holocaust, and then she survived and all that. Did you ever read her book? Oh, yeah. She was in this book. She was featured. And I think her word was courage, actually. But it's fascinating to think this young girl, you know, she was literally like in the Holocaust, and she wrote the story about the experience, and she survived. And what courage it took for her to come out of such a horrific experience and then to go on to inspire humanity for the rest of time. I think everybody, almost everybody knows her name and what she experienced. And because she chose to have the courage to share that journey, it changed the world. You know, a lot of people are inspired by that and take strength from that. You weren't raised from an early age to say, one day, Dashima, you're going to go out there and build these worldwide communities and ten, hundreds of thousands of people are going to watch your videos online. That wasn't something that your parents talked about and aunts and uncles talked about as you were growing up, was it? <laughs> well, no, not at all. But my videos have been viewed by millions of people. And the interesting thing that I've learned is that I had no idea but in the beginning, even as a young person, even though I had no clue what I was going to do, I always knew that I came here to do something to help humanity. Like I always knew that inside of me, but I didn't know what. So it was just like, I know I'm here to make a difference. Like I had this idea that I wanted to save the rainforest. Like I've always been very much like a humanitarian person that wants to save the world, <laughs> even as a kid. But nobody was kind of saying, you know, here, we're like cultivating this path for you. It was nothing like that. It was more like my mom lost her mind when I was six 
and we ended up in foster homes. And so I had a really hard early time. But it was kind of interesting because even when I was, I think I was seven or something, I was an advanced student or whatever. They let me into this program where on Fridays we got to go to the veterans hospital. So even as a young person, you know, I was always kind of being given this opportunity to be of service and to make a difference and philanthropic kind of thing, even as a kid. So it was shaping me. I later learned and I, and I realized that all of that was shaping me to become who I am today, which is a philanthropist and a, and a humanitarian and somebody who really cares about the earth. And a lot of my work is truly about being of service and, and helping people to feel better and to be happier and healthier and to heal and transform their lives and have success. And then take the lemon, turn them into lemonade, make a business out of it. <laughs> and all that. I can look back now and see how everything was preparing me for who I am today. But there was no people or person that was shaping that or like helping me along specifically at all in the journey. <laughs> I'm sure that you've had lots of experiences doing this locally. But when you started to do this online and build communities online where you now have videos that on YouTube have been viewed by millions of people. How did you start that? And what was it like to get started? Did it just automatically go from zero subscribers to a million subscribers over a weekend? What was your journey like? And, and what were some of the struggles you had to overcome? You know, it was actually really interesting how I got started on YouTube because I was one of the first channels on YouTube 2006. So YouTube launched in 05. And then I had this interesting client. It, it kind of started because when I started on my early path as a yoga teacher, I talked to this guy. He was like a professional boxing coach. And he told me he was getting clients from Craigslist. So I was like, okay. And so I put an ad on Craigslist. I ended up getting like all these amazing clients. And usually somehow I found out a lot of people on Craigslist are actually high net worth individuals. So one of my clients was this really high net worth marketing expert. He was a unique guy. He was also a rabbi. And he was like, he was really into yoga. So he like called me up and hired me to teach him private yoga classes every day. And we were doing like 20 classes a month. And so he, we got really, you know, close. And he actually was like, you need to make some videos. And I was like, okay, you know, because I've always been into videos. Like even as a kid, I was like into video. Um, I took a class on video production, like when I was in seventh grade, like I was always into that. But I didn't know exactly how to fit it into the big picture. And so he had a great camera and he filmed me. And, and that was my first video. He started my channel. So I didn't know about YouTube at the time. It was brand new. He started the channel with me and he uploaded the first video. And the funny thing is I didn't do anything with it for like a year. And I didn't even look at it. Like I had no idea because I didn't know anything about YouTube. So I just, the video was out there and he had embedded it into my website. And it was good because I was like so cutting edge at the time. I was like one of the only people in 2006 with a video embedded on my homepage, you know? So I was like really cool. And it was actually, it was really good because it was helping me get clients because he was teaching me that, you know, yeah, video, people can really feel you better and like really relate to you and you look more professional. So you're going to attract more clients. And I was like, okay, great. So I was all open to that. And then basically it worked. It was true. I ended up getting tons of clients. I never had any problems getting clients. But what happened was a year went by. I didn't look at that YouTube video. And then finally a year went by. I went on YouTube. And it had, I think, like 80 or 100,000 views, which to me, that was a lot because I didn't have any subscribers, you know, so it was like, how did we get all these views? You know, this is cool. And I knew it wasn't from visitors to my site because I wasn't getting that much traffic to my site. 
I was a local yoga teacher, you know, in Boca Raton, Florida. So anyway, basically, you know, I guess what I had found out was the video had gone viral. And so that was my first introduction to what is a viral video. <laughs> and then from there, I was like, oh, I need to do more videos because this is great. I'm getting like people watching my videos. So after that, it was like in 2008, I actually launched this idea called 30 Day Yoga Challenge. It was the first yoga challenge in the whole world online. And there was this big kind of movement back then of 30 day challenges there was a i don't know if you remember that guy but i forget his name he was teaching people how to utilize 30 day challenges as a marketing kind of way to reach people and so i was like i'm going to do the 30 day yoga challenge it was the only yoga challenge online in the world at the time and that was what really launched me because it went viral the 30 day yoga challenge went viral and people like millions of people were watching my videos and so that's kind of how that all started <laughs> That's terrific. So you started doing it intentionally to cultivate a community. What did you have to add other than videos to bring it from something that people are just watching to help people come together so that let them feel like they belonged to a community? Exactly. So also to add value, to offer something of value to help their life. Honestly, the 30-day yoga challenge was to build community, but the first video was really just to add value. So it started with the intention of sharing and adding value. And then that stayed, that intention was always there, but then it expanded to building community. And what did you deliberately or consciously do in order to add community? So people didn't feel like they were just doing this on their own. Well, I had created the 30 day yoga challenge and then I would go on there and it was like a video blog. So I would actually talk to people and then they would send in, I would tell them, send in your success stories and then I will, give prizes. <laughs> so I was kind of doing this whole incentive thing to get people to have success because I've always been kind of a transformation coach. So I wanted people to have results. So I was like, how do I get people to have results? Well, a lot of people are very motivated by incentives. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give like prizes if you guys have results and send in your before and after pictures or your success stories. And then we will award prizes for people that have the greatest results. And so that was a way to also build community, get people motivated and inspired and interactive and engaging. See, that's the part that I think is super, super useful because you engage with them. You've turned it from something, hey, just watch what I'm doing to let's do this back and forth. Let's have a little bit of engagement here. And also I'll highlight people who win prizes. That is really exciting. Yeah, I loved it. For me, that's so much fun is to get people who are really like willing to do, you know, it, it takes a lot of courage and effort to be willing to do the work. But if you're willing to do the work, I always want to reward people. So that was the fun part is to see them doing the work and to be like, because I was a cheerleader, you know, so I'm like, I'm the type of person I want to cheer you on if you're winning, or even if you're trying. I don't even care if you're winning. <laughs> you're trying. I'm your cheerleader. <laughs> So a lot of people listening spend a lot of time sitting in front of computers, in front of other people at meetings. Describe what yoga means for someone who spends a lot of their day sitting on their butt. I think for that specific type of person needs yoga more than almost anyone else. Although I'll say everybody can benefit from yoga, definitely. But one of the things that comes to my mind immediately, there was an infographic, you might have seen this before, and it's actually this kind of depiction of the Neanderthal 
that was kind of originally where we came from and then kind of the evolution to the standing man who stands up tall and then now we're evolving back towards this neanderthal type of skeleton the actual final structure because of the computer work and the sitting that we're doing and so this is kind of what always comes to my mind when it comes to people who think they don't need yoga or don't know if they need it because what's happening is and it's actually scientifically being proven people are losing the cervical curve of their spine it's actually curving forward because of this forward kind of posture that like with the computer and everything even the phones and the tv everything is like this curving forward and over time the evolution of man would be that we would evolve back to a neanderthal spinal alignment if we don't stop that so yoga what it does is it actually focuses on for me anyway a lot of it is like spinal posture you know like creating a good posture like a straight spine shoulders back crown of the head lifted and so it counterbalances the lifestyle of sitting that has become the human culture at this stage you know there was a time when humans weren't sitting all the time and especially not eight plus hours per day so this is actually something really largely important right now, especially at this time in history, because the more we're sitting, the more we're influencing the way the spine is actually developing for all the future generations even. So yoga counterbalances that and brings you back into the alignment, straight spine, and also relieves a lot of pain. Like a lot of people have back pain, lower back pain, especially tight hamstrings, all sorts of stuff, problems in the neck and shoulders. So all of that, goes away when you practice yoga properly. So you've talked about teaching people yoga one-on-one. You teach people online. What's the largest group of people you've ever taught in person? Well, I taught groups that were like, let's say hundreds of people and uh, different events around the world, like several hundred people at once. And I was a part of a large event in Dubai that we had 10,000 people in the class. I wasn't the the only teacher there, but I was a part of this large event. And we closed down all the streets of Dubai. It was a huge event. They literally closed down all the main roads and they brought in tons of people. The Prince of Dubai was there. And we had this class of 10,000 people that were practicing all at once in the streets of Dubai. And it was really remarkable. And it was such a beautiful testament to see how much yoga has really expanded because now that's Dubai, which is the Middle East. When there was a time not that long ago where that wouldn't have happened, purely based on people thinking that yoga is maybe something that would conflict with their religious beliefs. But now it's come to a place where it's so understood and accepted, especially with all the Harvard research and all of the universities and backing research that shows that it's just phenomenally good for your health, beneficial, positive for everyone to do it, and that it can be done in a context that has no religious affiliation and is purely just really great for your mind, body, and your spirit and your emotions. So now, you know, we got classes of 10,000 happening at different times throughout the world. One of my good friends just led another class, New Year's Day in Boca Raton. 2,500 people showed up to the class. So these classes, this type of size of classes is actually becoming more common now. Whereas there was a time when 10 people in a class was kind of a lot or something. And then like when I was teaching, a lot of classes would get like 50 people or maybe 100. And then if you're teaching at a festival or an event, it might be 500 or 300 but, and then the large events, which can get three to 10,000. So it's something that is very flexible. People can do it at their desk or they could do it online with tens of thousands of others doing it at the same time. 
whatever it is that helps people get started. And understand this, for people who are thinking, yoga really can't make a difference. I've been to a lot of yoga classes and had some really interesting teachers. And at the same time, I went on to Dashima's YouTube channel and did a couple of those. And she finds ways to stretch you and challenge you that you may not anticipate. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else, though? I really like to focus on making it at least primarily something kind of fun, you know, and I think that's one of the unique differentiating points of when I teach. It's not always focused on being fun because sometimes we get really deep and serious in the healing path of it, but ultimately, like, to bring a little bit of joy into the experience, and that's where, like, my Journey to Joyful book, you know, got the title. It, it really is, it can be painful or it can be enjoyable depending on, like, where your mind's at, and so I like to bring the joy into it because if you're working through pain, it's never fun, but at the same time, if you keep a light heart, anything can be enjoyable if you breathe and you relax. And that's really where the magic happens is in the breath, in the letting go of the pain and the stress. And then this whole world opens up inside, which is enjoyment and, and freedom and, and like blissfulness and relaxation and, and feeling good. And all the good things come rushing in when you can just let go of pain or whatever you're dealing with, stress which is, you know, in scientific studies, they show that the number one cause of death is stress. I mean, the root cause of it, which it sounds so simple, but everybody has stress. So it's not that, you know, that anybody is going to live without stress. It's how you choose to manage your life to be able to integrate different things that release stress and to keep it consistent enough so that, you know, you're actually creating a very healthy, balanced lifestyle. And that's, my approach <laughs> with yoga. And let me just add on to that, Dashima. The point I was making is even though those exercises were challenging and I'm regularly doing things that are athletic and competitive tennis player and so on, your instruction and the energy you bring to it encourages, pulls, and keeps my interest, and I'm sure this works for others as well, because you bring that lightness and laughter and fun to the exercises. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that's how I got where I am. I mean, ultimately, my videos have reached millions and millions of people, and I have different partnerships. You know, one of my partners, for instance, they have like 30 million subscribers. It's like a yoga app in China. So then we started tra translating the videos. So I have like all these voiceover, like Chinese, like Jackie Chan. I have like voiceover Chinese, like, like <laughs> <laughs> and now it's all Chinese people doing yoga with me, and I'm like one of their most popular ones because they're probably like, what is this chick like you know like i'm so different than you know the typical chinese person i'm sure that's teaching yoga <laughs> so tell me how journey to joyful came about how did you come up with the title and what was the process like to put that book into the world that's a good question actually it was interesting at the time because that was one of my first books actually i wrote a couple of ebooks before that like intro to yoga and i had this diet book that i was including in the 30-day yoga challenge but I get this strong message. Like I get these kind of like strong messages. And the message was, you need to write this book. And so I was like, okay. And literally it would just like come through me and it would wake me up sometimes in the middle of the night and I would get up and it'd be like 2 a.m. and it would be like, go write this chapter. And I would just write. And it was so interesting. So I was integrating and kind of weaving in like stories from my own experience and my own past with wisdom that I had learned in the yoga and the different types of kind of spiritual teachings that I'd followed for my whole life, even Taoism and 
you know, Buddha. So it's not all just based from yoga. It's just like philosophy of how to really be happy, you know, even Dalai Lama or, you know, these different leaders who really make that their life mission is to just bring happiness. And so I knew that that's really what everybody's really life goal is to be happy. I mean, everybody, they think they want success, they want money, they want to have a family, whatever all that. But like all of that is really just because you want to be happy. So you think that this thing is going to bring you happy. You think that this person or this money or this success is going to bring you happiness. And the true meaning of the journey to joyful concept is that the happiness comes from inside. It has nothing to do with an external attainment. And that was really the meaning behind the book. But also the journey to joyful is kind of like that life is a journey, you know, and, and that's one of the most famous quotes of all time, but like life is a journey, not a destination. So the idea that we're all on this journey and the goal of life is happiness, you know, so like, and yoga and also in psychology, there's a, the, a thing called the emotional tone scale. So the emotional tone scale has kind of a, a scale from, let's say, zero to a thousand and zero being like suicidal, like the lowest emotions that you could ever have. And then a thousand being like blissfulness or enlightenment. And then there's like some emotions every step of the way. And at 500 is the emotion of love. But actually joy is an emotion above love. And it's somewhere like, I think six or 700, like it's 500 is love. And then six or 700 is joy. So I really always felt this connection to the word and the feeling of joy, because it's something we all really want, you know, like you see someone that's full of life, and it's more than love, you know, it's like a joy, it's like a, a light coming through a lightness of being. And so that's where the, the joy came from, that I had many years earlier had uh, been introduced to this idea that you get joy, not from, let's say anything external, but it's a spiritual experience that you have when you have communion with your own soul and with the source of life. And some people have a name for that. Like, let's say they're religious, maybe it's Christianity, but then maybe it's a connection to Christ or different religions have a different way that they, they say that. But for me, it's truly like a connection to the source of life that brings this lightness through you and you feel this joy. And so that's where the word joy came from. But the journey was because it's a, it's a journey. It's not a destination. And everybody's on the path to find the way to make this more of a, a consistent part of the daily life experience. But that if you can at least move in that direction, you're on a good path. You know? I couldn't agree more. I, I think that's a, a delightful way of explaining the evolution of that title and how it fits together with the book. Are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Sure, absolutely. All right. So what are two or three key components of your routine for daily success? I definitely meditate every day, drink lots of water. I love green juice. Try to keep my vessel as healthy as possible because I think that I've over the years learned like if you're not feeling well, you can't perform well. So that's kind of like the basis. They say health is wealth. So I really focus on my health as a priority above almost everything else. The other thing is super important is integrity and commitment and consistency with what I'm creating. So it's like daily consistent effort and action. Maybe you're not always hitting home runs, but like making small daily progress and then rewarding and, and feeling the acknowledgement of that progress. And also getting people like reaching out to my community. This is kind of a new development over the years is like reaching out to my community and getting them involved is really a huge part of my success because a lot of them want to be involved and they, and they have now so many of them have come and 
been an integral part of the the growth and expansion. So really partnerships and bringing people into the fun of it all and into the creation process. Dashma, how do you reach out to people and how do you reward yourself for your daily progress? What's an example? Well, how I, those are two different questions. How I reach out to people, I... <laughs> Many, many ways. So one of the main ways is through my email newsletter. So I emailed them. That's where I got the most response from my community. But then just social media, I reach out every day. Like, you know, I share things every day, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or YouTube and the different platforms. But I try to share all the time. And then sometimes if I have an opportunity for people to be involved, I love to share about that and invite them into it or, you know, reach out in that way. But definitely through the newsletter is where I get the most direct. I'll send out like invitation to be involved in things through that. You were saying how important it is to reward yourself for your daily progress. What's an example of a way that you've rewarded yourself recently for your daily progress? Okay, a couple things. First of all, for example, I worked really hard this year. I was actually in Bali a lot of the year and I was working really hard on these new brands that were launching. And so I rewarded myself because I had really always wanted to go to a couple of places. One of them was the Giza, the Great Pyramids of Egypt. And so I rewarded myself with this amazing trip over to the Pyramids of Giza. And that was just life changing and incredible. And then another reward that was large scale was I really wanted to go to Santorini and Lake Como and a couple of places in Europe. And so I ended up having this incredible journey over there as a reward for my hard work. So those are like larger rewards, but like smaller rewards is kind of like yesterday. It was Sunday and I have been working really hard on some major projects. And so I just gave myself the whole day and I went to the beach and I went to some of my favorite beaches and I just let myself swim in the ocean. And I've been doing this actually quite frequently lately, but just to clear my energy, but give myself motivation whenever I get a lot of stuff done then I'll give myself beach day and then I just go and whether it's a few hours or like yesterday, I I let myself have the whole day as a reward. And I just spent the whole day there and meditating and swimming and running on the beach and all the different things that I love to do. And and I watched the the eclipse last night as well. So that was like a, a reward that was kind of a smaller one, but then the trips are kind of my bigger rewards. So I have like these different types of rewards based on the the amount of work I'm putting in. (laughs) It's nice to have that variety. So listening to you describe all of the things you're into, you have so many projects that you're working on, so many courses that you're developing, brands that you're rolling out. Is there a tool or system you use for helping you stay on track and productive? Something that gives you some structure to keep making progress towards your chosen goals? Absolutely. And actually, I've been getting better at this. Our team uses this app that's called Flow. And I actually have used different apps over the years, but this one is working the best for us. And and the reason I found out about this app was actually Apple uses it for their team and stuff, but it's like such a great just project and team management app. And I think it was free to begin with, but I'm paying at this stage because we have a large team on there, but basically it's so awesome. And one of the brands that I'm launching this year is called the Flow State. And so it's perfect in terms of name of it and everything. And once everybody got in, all my whole team is like into it. They're loving it because they love how like in the flow we are together and they like post in there. I made it like a 30 day flow challenge. And so I'm like, okay, guys, you got to post every day. Like, even if you don't do anything, just say hi. That way you stay in the habit of posting. But so far, no one's ever just said hi. They always say, you know, so they're actually being a lot more productive 
because of this because they want to show that they're doing something everybody can see what they post and they can see when you don't post so and like then we have these calls with my team so whenever we do the calls it's really cool because then we can kind of be like oh yeah like acknowledging all the people that and all the stuff that they've been doing and the posts that they've been making into the flow app and the progress that we're making and then people that aren't posting I kind of call them out because I'm you know I'm really like honest and all that so I'm straightforward and I'm like yeah there was everybody was posting a lot except for this person you know and then you know just like kind of point it out to let them know we're all aware we can see (laughs) if you are and that keeps people really motivated so it's been really really a wonderful tool for our team Bet you everything picks up the first time you call someone out for hiding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It either picks up or they end up leaving the team. In terms of, I let a, pe- a couple people go. Like some people, if they're not doing anything and it's significantly like obvious, then it's good because it actually, with this type of strategy, you're able to see that. Whereas if you were just like hoping for the best, you know, I hope they're doing something and then they're not because I have a lot of virtual, like my team is very virtual. So, you know, this is something super important because you can't really see if they're doing stuff, but if they're posting and they're not posting, that's when you can see if it's a virtual team. So one more question with the lightning round, what's the most important habit, routine or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction or joy? Okay. Let's see. (laughs) That's a hard one. I I actually feel like I've been starting more things than stopping, but let's think if there's something specific. I was living in Bali. I'll say I was living in Bali for a year, but I've been living between Hawaii and Bali. And (laughs) and now I didn't start the new thing yet, but basically I made a decision that after I come back from Bali in March, that I'm going to move back to the East Coast. And this is something like it's kind of answering your question, but basically... I'm going to stop living in the island for now because it's going to be more productive for me to be on the mainland because of the different things like connection to internet is a little like a lot more solid (laughs) on the East Coast and on the mainland. And then the other thing is just to be around the productivity energy because I'm super motivated, but like the people in the islands aren't as much because they're really (laughs) here for vacation mostly. So <laughs> I'm kind of like making this as a commitment, even though I would definitely prefer to live in Hawaii and Bali and these like paradises, but just for at least six months to a year while we launch these new brands that I'm um, launching, that it's a kind of a roundabout answer, but so I'm going to stop living in paradise for a bit. Although I'll be living in Miami Beach, so it's kind of like a middle ground. It's still nice there. And, and I lived there before for four years before. It's really wonderful. I have lots of friends there, so it's not like a huge horrible sacrifice but definitely a huge difference Miami versus Hawaii but I'm sacrificing to move towards more productivity so that's kind of the purpose of it I get it now earlier you had talked about when you were starting out and reaching out to people you encountered negative energy people who may not have wanted to hear from you or weren't receptive to what you had to share and yet you found ways to persist and overcome that what was that like to get past that and make sure that the negative energy was such a small part of what was happening on so that you could focus on making your contributions and helping the people who are ready for it? That's a great question. And in fact, it's actually a question that I get a lot. Okay, so when I started out, especially on social media, 
like everybody else, because I think some people imagine some people don't have this experience. Everybody has this experience in the beginning. There are like people that are haters and there are people that are not because you're just attracting lots of people. You don't know who you're going to get. So in the beginning, I learned something that was really highly valuable. And I ended up getting featured in James Altucher's book called Choose Yourself because of this exact story. But basically what happened was in the beginning of my uh, YouTube specifically, YouTube was a big one, but then Facebook also was a little, but mostly YouTube. So I would get like lots of positive people and then there would be some haters, you know, and I didn't know why or something, but I read an article by Gabrielle Reese. She's like, she used to be a pro volleyball player. She's married to Laird Hamilton, who was a pro surfer. And people had asked her, how do you deal with haters? And she said, well, I just look at it like this. There's always going to be 30% of people that hate what you do. Doesn't matter what you do, they're haters. And then there's 30% of people that don't really care either way. They're just neutral. And then there's 30% that will love no matter what you do, they're going to love everything you do. And so when you see it like in this ratio, you just realize if someone's a hater, you just think like, oh, that's just one of those 30%. That's, that's a hater. There's nothing I can do about that. And it liberated me to have that understanding because it helped me to see that that's just the way that it is. Like there's nothing I'm ever going to do to change that. So that was actually how I got featured in the Choose Yourself book. There's a whole chapter of me kind of sharing this story. But basically then it's been a unique journey because since then I've actually evolved to a place where if there's somebody posts something that's what you could consider a hater or a negative comment on any of my communities, I just delete them or block them. Like I don't even put any energy towards it. Some people they put a lot of energy towards defending themselves or trying to like have some kind of dialogue with this. But it's like pointless to try to have a dialogue with a hater, you know, like, because like I said, they're that 30%. You're not going to change who they are or how they respond in life because they're just inherently pretty negative. So I don't feed any energy towards that. And that's been one of the greatest secrets to my happiness and success because I don't have tons of energy getting vampired into a vortex of negative, you know, conversation. Instead, I just delete, block, move on with the life. There's no like energy wasted there. So that's what I recommend. <laughs> that's terrific. Dashima, you've shared so many great things today. I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Everything from Michael Jordan that your early running coach talked about how he had more success with free throws in his mind than he did on court. And that's what led to his success and also inspired you to start exploring your inner game and awareness with mindset. When we talked about the book that inspired you with the 20 amazing women, that you came up with the word courage that really exemplified and epitomized your uh, stand in the world and how, what allowed you to become a community builder. It's clear that the causes that you care about are ones that get lots of your love and energy. You talked about when you were a pioneer on YouTube, one of your videos went viral and you didn't even know it till you looked and how important it is to check it out and then start to feed that so that you could create and shape the kind of community that you wanna build. And you come at it from such a great perspective of always wanting to add value and help people with their lives that it's no wonder that it attracts the people that wanna be part of that. When you were in Dubai and taught 10,000 people how to do yoga on the streets, I hope that everyone listening to that story realizes there's absolutely no excuse not to learn or practice yoga. It's good for you, you'll feel better, and if people are getting down on the streets of Dubai and doing it, you could do it in your office, you could do it at home. No excuses. You remind us of how happiness comes from inside, 
and that life is a journey, not a destination, as we were talking about your book title. And you know, the energy that you put into creating the things you want to have happen really results in building a great community. So for all of these reasons and more, Dashma, thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've loved every moment of it. How can we find out more about you and your work online? I have a, many different ways that people can reach me. Uh, my website is dashama.com, D-A-S-H-A-M-A, dashama.com. And all my social media is also under my name. So YouTube is also Dashima. Facebook is Dashima. Instagram right now is Dashima Love, but I'm trying to get my Instagram from this girl that's parked on it right now. But I'm going to get it eventually. But basically, find me at Dashima Love on Instagram. And I have other websites. But basically, that's kind of the best way to start. Dashima, earlier before the interview began, you had mentioned that there was a blueprint for people who were interested in learning how you built your business. How do we find out more about that? Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's interesting because over the years, I had so many people because I actually train health coaches, yoga teachers, and lifestyle coaches, certifying them. And, and one thing that I learned over the years is that a lot of people don't know how to get started in creating a brand and a business that can really serve their life, be a career, be a, a source of income, and to be whatever level. You can reach millions of people and, and take it global, or you can keep it local. But a lot of people kind of came to me asking about this. So I created a free webinar. It's a, an hour long, and it's basically a blueprint, A to Z, showing how I built my business to $2 million and international world traveling success. And it's free. Now I'm just offering that to people because I feel that the more people that can reach a large audience with their positive message that can help the world, the better off the whole world will be. So by teaching this and sharing this information, I hope to uplift other entrepreneurs and people that aspire to share a message and help the world as well. We'll have that on your interview page. So if you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or Google, just click the link to go to the interview page and we'll have all the details on how to access that free gift from Dashma. Dashma, thank you so much. You're an author, a transformational teacher, a global online community builder, and a force of nature. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Have an amazing day. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.